911, what's your emergency? On October 6, 2001, two hunters found the remains of Shannon Nicole Polk. Their leisurely day cut short by the findings of their hunting dog. The two men said that they had passed by the remains twice before thinking it was more than trash in the road. When their dog started barking, that's when they took a closer look and found little Shannon tied with rope, placed in a trash bag with her clothing in a pile. I can't imagine what it's like to find the remains of a small child, one that you've been looking for, one that you've been praying would be found safe, their lives forever changed by that fateful day. Day one. Did Shannon Nicole Polk go in and never come out? Is that what happened to her that day as she was visiting all of her neighbors and friends on August 16th of 2001? There's only a few things that could have happened. She went inside to a home and never came out alive again, or... Someone approached her and drove her out. Shannon was explained as a very trusting child, as you'll hear in, in this episode and the ones to follow. Those that know her say that she could have gone with someone that day. They say that she probably wouldn't have gone with a complete stranger. She may not have had to have a close relationship with that person, though. Maybe that was the dad of a friend of hers. Oh, come on, I'll, I'll take you up, get you some candy. She'd been asking for candy. One of the first places that she went that day, as we could find, was her neighbor one street over. She had asked her if she could take her to the store, and that neighbor couldn't because her daughter was asleep. She told Shannon that when her daughter woke up, she could probably take her up to get her some candy at the gas station across the street from Candlestick. But Shannon never came back for that ride. She had told her... That's okay, but I'm going to go home and see if my sister is awake. But at some point, Shannon went and picked up a walker. And that's where things get confusing. But we'll get into that in another episode. This episode is all about getting to know Shannon. Shannon Nicole Polk, born on May 8th of 1990, who is presumed to have died on August 16th, 2001. Shannon lived in a tight-knit community. Her neighborhood was called Candlestick Mobile Home Park. It was located in Prattville, Alabama. Shannon was abducted in the middle of the day, never to be seen again. As you heard, her body was found by hunters not quite six weeks later, on October 6, 2001. Now that we've covered the basics of Shannon's unsolved murder from 2001, we're going to start digging into the depth of the case and hear from the people that loved her the most, the ones that knew her from the time she was born until the time that she died way too soon. I will be interviewing many people throughout this series, releasing them as we work our way through each episode. Please keep in mind that the people you will hear from have their own perception of what happened, myself included. 
But there is one thing that they all agree on, and that is who Shannon was. This first episode is titled, Getting to Know Shannon, and I'm sure you will fall in love with her just as I did. We're going to start by listening to Shannon's song by Roger Lyles. He was a friend of her uncle, and he wrote this just for Shannon. After the song plays, I'm going to play you a quick clip of the interview with Shannon's best friend who had heard this song for the very first time that day that I interviewed her. Followed by the three questions that I ask each interviewee for this episode. Those questions will be, how do you know Shannon? What is your favorite memory? And what was she like as a person? Thank you. 
That's gonna make me cry. I've never heard that. Isn't that the cutest song though? That it was. It's like that was perfect. Talking about knocking on the door and asking to come play. I'm like, that was perfect. And we we met before we even lived in the trailer park together. She lived in another trailer park, and we lived in a, co- a coinciding one. So we would get on the bus first, and then she they would pick her up. No no one would let her sit with them. So me and my sister said, you can sit with one of us and to our trailer park. And we were inseparable, all three of us. I mean, it, it was funny, but we ended up getting in trouble. <laughs> we went right next to the trailer park. It was kind of like a, a rundown a warehouse building of some sort that that was closed. There's like this beautiful tower of some type. That I, I really don't know what it was, but we would climb down there and pretend that we were princesses. And Aww. we would, of course, we would play house and we would a little room here and a little room here. This was, this was her part, this was my sister's part. And, you know, of course, we wanted to be the queen, but, you know, I really don't know what it, it looks like the top piece of a castle. That tower, I'll never forget. Shortly after that, we went behind that warehouse. It's um, kind of like a, a sewage pipe thing, like a, a reservoir to hold water, I guess. We walked down it. We did agree. We just kept walking, and we ran to the park, and we got in trouble. Someone saw us there, like, you better go home. So we went home, and we all we all got in trouble. Mom and dad, ball game or something like that. And, you know, we live in a small town, so everyone knows everyone. So when really? they saw us, they are like, you better get on home and tell your mom and dad. And they sure did. I mean... You know, we were on restriction for a couple of weeks, and pretty sure Shannon got in trouble. But that that was, I mean, we got in trouble. But it was fun. We had fun. We always had fun with each other. We always found something to do. So, yeah. Of course, there were age group differences. You know, there was one, you know, these age group kids. And then we had a, yeah, I mean, even my older sisters, they uh, hung out with Shannon's older sister. Did you kind of have a little group that you played with or was it just usually the three of you when shannon wasn't home we, there was another little girl named she lived next door to shannon we would play with her sometimes on my street there was another two girls i know one of them's name is but i don't remember the other little girl's name we would play with them but they were never allowed to play outside we only played inside their house but other than that there was a couple of neighborhood boys where she you know every little girl crushed on they were kind of like the, the bad boys we didn't want to get in trouble so we just stay we stay away from them <laughs> good to avoid the bad boys yeah they were bad <laughs> so did you get to know a lot of the other parents in candlestick mostly the kids i played with right across the street from me was he had a son named he was a single father right before we moved there was a military family that had moved in right next to us i don't remember their names i only remember their little girl's name her name was 
We didn't get to spend a lot of time with them. Pretty much everyone on my street, uh, she had two girls. She was a single mom. On my street and on Shannon Street, everyone knew each other. Like, we would kind of have block parties, and the adults would hang out, and we would play hide-and-go-seek, and, you know, just, it was fun. I mean, I, I really I had a lot of good memories there, a lot, a lot. Mm, that's cool. You guys hung out at the one place. Where was your guys' hideout? The Red, the red Dirt Hill. Yeah, tell me about that. Oh, my gosh. We were getting so much trouble. Actually, a bunch of the smaller kids and the older kids, which, of course, you know, us youngins always wanted to be with our older sisters and hang out with them. They were cool. So we would take my mom's towels. While we took the white ones, we still don't know why we did that day. But we would lie down this hill. This hill was huge. I mean, I don't know how we did it, how we weren't scared, but we would... We would slide down the hill with the towels all day, all day long, and we'd be all red and the towels, <laughs> the towel stain. I mean, it only took us a few times to learn not to use the towels and start taking cardboard boxes because we were, we didn't yeah, want to get in trouble cool. anymore. We we just well, the cardboard probably went faster. <laughs> yeah, it did. I mean, it was smart. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that idea. <laughs> The road that she was that she lived on, there was only like three trailers. It was hers, a couple, of, maybe a couple above her. Um, in between trailer and Shannon's trailer, there was an empty lot. She was cutting grass, and Caleb, her nephew, was playing in that empty lot in the dirt, just you know, doing. He was so young. He was very. I walked up there, I waved her down, and she comes running. I told her, I said, "Well, we're moving, you know, but we'll still see each other at school." and we just conversated for a little bit, and we I played. We played with Caleb in the sand, and comes out the door, and he says, Shannon, dinner time. Come on, Caleb, Shannon, come on. And we hugged each other, and that was the day before, I believe, maybe. And that was it. Never saw her again. Because we were supposed to go back the next day. My little sister didn't get to say goodbye to her because she was back at the new house, and we were supposed to pick up last-minute things. That's when I think Shannon had, they had planned to meet up because we talked to her on the phone. They planned to meet up to play a little bit, and when we when we went, that it was later on in the afternoon because they were both meeting in the morning. Painted it there. She didn't know where she was. So you guys went back on the 16th, and just, she didn't. Yeah, see. just to pick up a little bit of things, and Hannah went knocking on her door, and Lisa answered and said she wasn't there. She was somewhere around the park. By that time, Mom said, "Load up, let's go." That we yeah. never saw her. So was that in the morning time? You remember? It was. I'm pretty sure it was in the morning time. I don't know the exact time, but my mom's an early bird thing was done in the morning. I, yeah. well, it was before lunchtime. I know that. She must have been inside of someone's home then. I mean, wouldn't don't you think you would have seen her? Yeah, because we drove in. We would have seen her at some point on one of the roads. But we yeah. didn't. Hmm. Unless she was on the back road, which I, she, she never really went back there. So kind of stayed on the same road. But around the pond is where she was always at. She was friendly. She was like she had a love for everyone. And she was quiet at first. Mm-hmm. But once you got her opened up, she was mm-hmm. like a firecracker. She was so lovely and funny. And she was just a very, very sweet girl. She tried her best. If you needed whatever it could be, you know, she would try her best. Try her best. She was all, she was giving. She was very giving. I love people like that. So that's why we were stuck like glue together. I come from a rough, a rougher 
background childhood as she did. Whenever my parents fought or mostly my parents fighting, we would we would always go to the creek. That was our spot. And all I had to do was go there and knock on her door. And she was she knew she always knew she was like she had a knowing. She's like, OK, let's go to the creek. And yeah. even if we didn't talk about it, just us making each other laugh and play was just enough for me. So she never she never really she just knew she just she wanted to smile. And that's what we did. She always did that. Always. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm Shannon's uncle. I'm uh, Marie's younger brother, three years younger she is. Shannon was her baby daughter. Mm-hmm. Shannon, Shannon was, was, a, was a sweet little girl. I mean, everybody loved her, and I, I don't know why anyone, anyone would want to ever hurt a youngin. You know, I mean, she, she knew a lot of people. A lot of people knew her, and uh, she, was just a, she was just a wonderful little kid. She sounds like it. Yeah, I mean, she, she was a, a great person. Tell me a little story that was just between you and her, something that sticks out in your mind as a good memory. Well, Shannon used to come over to the house. You know, she'd play with the kids. Uh, she'd come spend Christmas with us. You know, I, I, had, I had three kids at the time, and uh, Shannon would come over, and, you know, it was just a, a, a big family thing during Christmas, you know, and we, we, we loved having them over there. And, uh... We we didn't spend a whole lot of time together, but we spent what we could. And and the last time I seen Shannon, she called me because she had spent the night. She left her glasses over at the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, she called me and asked me, she said, Uncle Charlie, will, will you bring me my glasses? So I got up and took her her glasses and all, and we met them at the pace car because they, they were going shopping, her and her mama. But uh, I, I, won't, I won't never forget that day. She was loved. I'm Shannon's aunt on her mother's side. Last memory of Shannon was the weekend before that we had all went shopping. And she wanted a rolling book bag. And I I bought that for her for school. And then she wanted a dress that I would not buy because I told her that I couldn't after buying the book bag. And we left, and I had intentions of taking her back the next weekend to get the dress. And, of course, we never made it because she was taken the Thursday before. I did go back and get the dress, and the dress was buried with Shannon. Shannon was special. She was loving. She loved God. And she, she was she was my baby, like they all are. She was. She loved everybody, and, and she would do anything to help anyone. She helped my husband lay towel down in our kitchen and dining room uh-huh. before, before all this happened. Yep, she did. And that's probably why I may never have this floor taken up. Very special. Shannon, she just, uh, she loved to talk to people. She loved, she loved people. Were you and her close? Yes, yes. Yes, we, we was very close. She would go out to eat with me and my husband a lot on Friday nights. Do you feel like since your mom had passed away that Shannon was more like your granddaughter? Uh, I'm close to all of my nieces and nephews, every one of them. And it's, I mean, that's just the way it is because we don't have any children. I've always considered them to be my children, and, and she was no exception. Was it hot that day? Very hot. Do you think that Shannon would have gone to someone's home and let herself in or gone with someone 
that she didn't necessarily know. Maybe she knew someone that knew them and kind of trusted them by proxy. Possibly. Because she was so trusting. Right. I'm Charlie's wife, Shannon Vance. And is there any memories that you wouldn't mind sharing with me about Shannon that you remember? She was just a happy-go-lucky little girl. She never, she never met strangers. She's always friendly with everybody, always had a smile on her face. Couldn't wait to start Daniel Pratt School because it was the first year for him to open that school up, and she was so excited about that school. She has always been just the sweetest child you would ever meet. When she was little, she didn't care about her uncle too much. I mean, he had to bribe her with candy and all that, but he finally won her over. Aww. <laughs> oh, she was just sweet as she could be. I mean, everybody that knew her fell in love with her. I just don't understand why some sicko could have done that to that child. I don't understand. I wish I had an answer for you. And who are you to Shannon? Her father. Is there any memories that you have with Shannon that just really stand out as something that you hold close to your heart? Really, everything. Every, everything was special with her. The main thing that sticks out, uh, we lived in Ufala. We took a fishing one time, and she loved it. And there's just so much. I just... Keep, I can keep going on and going on. Yeah. She seems like a very special little girl. Yes, she was. Everyone. Just wanted everyone to be happy. You had said that one time. Right. She loved helping people. She liked making people happy, making them laugh. She, just, she was just a caring person. Do you think that she would still want you to be happy? If she could talk to you today, what do you think she would say? She would. She would tell me to be happy, but I feel like she tells me that already sometimes. Cause sometimes I just get down and I go to thinking about her. It's then no, I'm on top of the world again. Our Seems loved like one. she's walking with me every day. I think so, and I think that she would want you to keep fighting for her, like you're trying to do. And oh, I think yeah. that she would want you to be happy and and to not blame yourself. Right. I do that quite a bit. I keep saying, if I was there, what could I have done? There's a lot of people that are just so willing to help and do, and it's extraordinary. I haven't seen anything like it, and I think it is a testament to who your daughter was. She was so loved is exactly why people want to help. Mm -hmm. And 19 years is 19 years too long. Yes. And I really do. I believe it, and I want y'all to believe it, that by that 20th year, we've got this bastard. Yeah. I had the same feeling, because y'all have done so much in the time y'all been on it that the police has done the whole time. Yeah. We have, we have learned so good, so much more. Well, I'm, I am happy to help. She looks so much like my sister. And when I saw her picture, it was, it literally was just like, it grabbed me from the moment I looked into her eyes in that photo and I just can't let it go. And I am OCD. So (laughs) whether you like me or not, (laughs) 
I don't really care because you guys are all, you're stuck with me. Fine with me. You're stuck. How long had you lived in Candlestick before you guys separated? I can't remember exactly, but we wasn't separated two months before Shannon went missing. Three months at the longest. Okay, so it was pretty new change. Yes. Have you yes. ever spoken to the hunters? Uh, No, I talked to them one time right after they found her. What did they say? They didn't talk about much. They just talked about how they found her, the way they found her and everything. How the truck, the truck wasn't cranked. When they got ready to leave, the truck wasn't cranked. So they loaded the dogs back up. I know the, the truck was cranked. As soon as they loaded the dogs up, the truck wasn't cranked no more. Let the dogs out. They run off over and over. They said they kept trying to crank the truck every time they get dogs in the truck. The truck wasn't cranked. Yeah, they said, but when dogs are running loose out there, running at something, the truck will crank right up. But once they got dogs in the truck, it wouldn't crank. Wow. And they said they finally followed the dogs where they was running to, and that's when they found Shannon's body. It remains. Sounds like divine intervention to me. Yes, it does. And I'm glad you guys have that. At least, you know, you don't, you haven't been wandering. Right. I'm going to be reading a statement from Marie, who is Shannon's mother. This is all very painful for her. She did give me permission to read a written statement from her. Anyone in her position, this kind of thing is very difficult. And she's a private person. You know, we all go through things in our lives and and they make us who we are. Every parent that I came into contact with in a situation similar... Oh, we always, and I am I do the same thing, we always think that we could have been better. That somehow if we had done A, B, C, or D, the outcome would have been different. And I always try to encourage them to not take any of the blame away from the person that solely owns it, and that is whoever killed their loved one. We talked a lot about our faith and how we lean on that and how it's changed who we are and how we handle things. It was so encouraging talking to her, just sharing Bible verses and talking with another mother. My heart really goes out to her and her pain and having to live with this being unsolved. And yet she kept finding things to be grateful for throughout our conversation. And one of them was that they did find Shannon and that they don't have to wonder. I was just in awe of her ability to try to find some kind of light in darkness and I think it's a testament to who Shannon was as a person and from what she had to say about her you know they were very close she was her best friend I mean they they had been through a lot as a family and were in the process of divorce at that time and it was chaotic and something like this, it just breaks your breaks your heart for the people that you have to talk to. I can't imagine the roles being reversed and how I would react and just making sure that you always keep love first and empathy as we go through this process is something that we all need to be reminded of. And I hope that through this, you know, I'd, when we were talking, I was just hearing about her life, and she's hearing about my life, and I would just wish I could do this one thing for closure. As we're talking, and she says, 
of just how she tries to take every day and, and make it the best that she can. And her goal and, and who she is as a person, you know, was changed and how she wishes that Shannon was here to see it because she would have been proud of her. We talked about how life, it is but just a moment. And one day, if you believe in God, and our faith is very similar, you know that one day you're going to be re reunited with the person that you've lost, a child that you've lost. And that's what she takes comfort in now, and just at how this changed her life. Her goal is now, you know, to live her life right and to be reunited with her daughter and to keep hope. And that was one of the things that I shared with her is one of my favorite Bible verses is Jeremiah 29:11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And she told me one of her favorite verses is in Deuteronomy. The Lord goes before me. He is with me. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And to me, that verse really does just sum up what it has taken. And I'm glad that she has that to lean on. The courage to get through 19 years of not knowing. And I hope that one day he does meet judgment here on earth. But we both know that he will face the Lord God. And that judgment is going to be way harsher and way longer than anything he could face here on earth. Him being held accountable here would be great. But one day he will be held accountable. Whether it's in this life or the next. And I firmly believe that. And the Bible does talk about if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm not trying to get all church. You know, when you've done something as horrific and heinous as this, the Bible does say that, that God will forgive you. He will, even though I hate that, like I hate to even think about a brutal murderer of a child receiving forgiveness from God. I do believe in God all the same and... If you're listening, I hope that you hear that. But, you know, it is not something that you just get to have and confess your sins. And I hope that you consider doing that here on earth. But I kind of hope that you don't as well. I believe and have faith and hope in the fact that one day you are going to stand before God and He is going to judge you. You know, and she said, I'm not the person I used to be. Shannon was one of the best things that I did in this life. I think about my own children, and they are. I mean, they're the best things that I've done. The best that really stood out to me in our conversation because we all live our lives, and, and we just think we have one more day. And then something like this happens, and it, and it hits you out of nowhere, and then you start thinking about, oh, what if I had a, came home earlier that day? What if I had a, uh, not allowed her to be in a neighborhood that I had moved to because it was safer? You just woulda, coulda, shoulda yourself. When she said that, you know, I'm not the person that I used to be, and I wish that Shannon was here to see it, and I know she would be proud of me. And that Shannon was one of the one of the things that she got right in this world. And I hope she knows she, but I understand that. I understand that. And it's just something that all parents will always face. Her statement was, Shannon was her beautiful daughter. And every moment that she had with her was her favorite memory. Shannon was the sweetest, kindest, most loving daughter 
with the most beautiful heart. She loved everyone. She was beautiful inside and out. She was a child of God. Shannon had a beautiful soul. At the end of each episode, when we've heard from all of the interviewees, I will have discussion time with a special guest, most of which will be my dad. My dad has his master's in psychology, plus we have been arguing with each other my whole life. I think he will add an interesting perspective to the perceptions of reality that we hear from each interviewee. Dapper dad discussion time begins now. So what were your impressions of hearing from Shannon's best friend? She has a lot of memories of that time, doesn't she? She sure does. Yeah, really good friends as a child. Yes, they were. They had known each other prior to living in Candlestick, as we heard her talk about. Because in 2001, kids weren't like how they are today. They actually went outside and played, and they didn't have computers and cell phones and whatnot to isolate them from actual socializing. They actually socialized with real human contact. (laughs) Yeah, and they had a place to go. The creek seemed to be an yeah. important part of their lives, a place to go to for the kids to just do their thing and bond and get close and talk. And Yeah, I would like to check out that hill that, that uh, her friend spoke of. Oh, sliding down. <laughs> yeah. From what I can see on Google Earth, it looks pretty steep. <laughs> yeah, my brothers and I used to do that when we were her age where we lived we had hills everywhere around there we slid down cardboard boxes yeah that's the things that kids can do there's a lot of imagination gets you through your childhood it does and the uh, story that she talked about with the little castle it is just south on the same side of the road as of 31 of candlestick mobile home park and it does it's a historical little building and it really does look like the top piece of a castle and the building right there was abandoned at that time and i could see where kids would just love that it's like their own little castle treehouse you know like what we had as a treehouse they would my guess would be it would be within 10 minutes of where they lived on expos and mets to get to it if you walked maybe a little bit less yeah so not far That's cool. Yeah, it's super cute. And she did tell a story about them kind of wandering a little too far. And I thought that gave a lot of insight as to the community. They had rules that they were to stay Mm -hmm. within their neighborhood. When they had gone over to the park and got caught by other parents, those parents immediately called their parents and they told them to go home and then they called and told on them. You know, and that's kind of the community that they were raised in there in Candlestick. It was really pretty. She talks of block parties and just a family, an extended family. And to me, that kind of area, if someone came in, there's really only one way into Candlestick. There's only one main entrance If someone came in with all the people that were home that day, I would think that they would have been noticed 
which kind of breaks your heart because Marie had actually moved to Candlestick because she thought it was going to be safer for her children and raise her children there. And that's where life comes in. And sometimes, you know, you just, no rhyme or reason. There is no blame except solely to the killer. It makes you think about the, the character of this story being unsolved because there was such a, obviously a tight knit community. And usually those type of circumstances to me, it's like, it's harder to perpetrate some type of terrible crime when the community is so small and close. Yes, you're right. And in the middle of the day. Yeah. You know, in the sunshine, you know, that's very brazen. Yeah. Pretty rare. You know, you don't see a lot of daytime close-knit, closed-off neighborhoods with a lot of people home and coming in and out. Uh, Someone just snatch a little girl up with no noise. No one heard anything. That is odd to me. Yeah, yeah, that's... uh, I'm sure they was able to get a time frame, you know, a pretty close time frame as to when the abduction happened. And you'd think somebody saw a car or saw a person... Walking in this area, something as well. I saw Sosos car out there about that time, you know, whatever. They yeah. could have begin to pinpoint things down, but well, just... and that's the thing. Until 2017, they thought they did. They thought they had something like that. They had a couple witnesses. They were children that saw a man that they described, and they have a sketch of. They actually have two sketches of him and a red jeep, and a tan four-door car with a rope, very detailed descriptions of the cars. So basically, until 2017, they thought they did have someone that didn't live in the park that was came in there and took her, even though no one else saw, and it ended up being that once they were called by the grand jury under oath, they admitted that they had not told the truth as far as the day that they saw that man. It wasn't that day. It was a different day. And I don't think that, you know, these little kids, these were Shan's friends. I don't think they did it with any malicious intent, but it really did derail the case. And it makes you wonder if that's why, like kind of what you were saying earlier, they thought that they had this. And because of all the facts that that we both mentioned, close-knit community, um, one entrance, middle of the day. Oh my gosh, we've got this guy seen by two witnesses. Description of the cars, very detailed description of the man. And then later, you know, many years later, they find out that no, that's not the case. So then you're back to square one and they had to reframe the entire case. You can think too that when something uh, this traumatic happens, people, uh, especially kids, uh, Time almost stands still, and so I can see where the time frames will get mixed up in the those witnesses' minds. Yeah, I agree, too. I think that whatever they, when and whatever, whoever they saw, it alarmed them. And I still think, no matter if it was that day or a different day, when two little girls see someone talking to their friend and they are alarmed, that's still a very viable suspect in my opinion. Yeah, that's true. You know, just based on... But yeah, you're right. Like, I think that they they probably confuse the dates, and which is something that 
is very simple for kids to do. Yeah, kids probably most days, especially during that time, that time of the decades, the kids don't even think about what day it is ever. They just get up in the morning and go out and play. That's what they're thinking about. Exactly. And especially during the summertime. Yeah, definitely. All right. So moving on to Uncle Charlie. He is just the coolest guy. He is a great... Yeah, he sounded like it. He's a great big little brother. And they're all like their family unit kind of reminds me of ours. Uh, yeah. Just a lot of kids. Yeah, I. he's been one of the ones that has been really helping me the most. Him and his wife and Shannon's Aunt Jeanette. To really learn all that I've learned. Because this is 19 years old. Having family that is willing to talk. It's so important. And I'm so grateful that they're willing to do that. And I truly do believe that when like they have been when they all work together, this will get solved. I think it's solvable. You would think so. Is, uh, is he the one that's, and him and his wife does, don't have any children of their own? No, they do. Yeah, they have okay. children. That That's Jeanette. Jeanette and her husband, James. They don't have any children. Okay. Right. She's, okay. she's Marie's older sister. And Charlie is her younger brother. They have, There's other siblings as well, but those are the two that I talk to the most. And Charlie's wife, and they have been together, you know, long before Shannon went missing. Um, and they have kids that are grown now. And Marie is right in the middle. And, I mean, she even when she describes her brother, he's definitely her protector, her little big brother. Her glasses... There isn't any mention of it anywhere. It, did she have to wear glasses all the time? You know, I wonder if they were found anywhere. They were found on the sidewalk or at the crime scene or I don't know. But yeah. we do know that a walker was found. And I did. I thought the story with, that Jeanette told about her her. Shannon's uncle, her husband, Shannon helping him with the floor and how they'll probably never, ever tear that out and what a mm. special memory that ended up being. You know, I think with her and her husband not having any children, like all of her brothers and sisters' kids are kind of like her kids and her grandkids now when they, when they're ha- grown and having kids. And, and they were very, very close. And Marie and Jeanette and Charlie's mom had passed away when they were young. And so I think being the oldest, Jeanette really took on that motherly role in her family. Very, very close with Shannon. And I can feel her pain. And it was so hard for me to... You won't hear it in this episode, but you will in the episodes to come. I could I could tell that the interview was getting hard for her. Her breathing changed. You could tell that she was getting hurt and upset. And it was hard to keep going. And um, I know that she is one awesome lady. And she pushed through it and got it done. Even though I know she probably wanted to end the interview. And all of the memories come flooding back. And I just so appreciate her willingness to keep on talking and to do this for Shannon. And I hope that the ends justify the means in what I'm doing. Because sometimes it doesn't really feel all that great to dredge up something so painful for them. 
it is also an avenue of healing to be able to talk and remember. And I hope so. I hope that it is. Be a part of letting the world know how much you loved, how much they loved her. Yeah. And that they're willing to subject themselves to this in order to bring closure, rest for them and Shannon. And I hope that they get that regardless. Right. And I do hope that this does end up with a conviction. But if it doesn't, I hope that it is something that they can still look back on fondly and not painfully. Right. Um, And that's why I always want to keep... Like, I'm not in this to make money. I'm not in it to be Joe Rogan or I love them. I like listening to them and I love podcasts, but I'm not, I didn't start this because I wanted to make, it won't be and it never was my intention. I just don't ever want to lose sight of that as we go along of like why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. To always try to never hurt, but to help. And sometimes you, you don't know what is hurting and what is helping. You don't know what that looks like until you're all the way, all the way through it. But that is my intention is to always to help and to put love first, empathy. And, Mm -hmm. and I know that when you're, I mean, the title of this podcast is cold truth. And there Mm -hmm. is, there is a lot of perceptions of the truth that I have heard. And that's why I named it that because they all can't be true. (laughs) They just literally can't. So it is going to get difficult as we really dig into this case because we're going to have to get to the cold truth of all of the perceptions. It's not going to be pretty and it's not going to be fun all the time and it's not going to be, it's going to be hurtful and it's just trying to find all of the truth without anyone's perception to it. Hopefully that the, that truth leads to this killer, and the conviction of this killer and closure for this family. She kind of blames herself. and That was Marie, her mom, Shannon's mom. I say that to all of the mothers that I have worked with because they all say those same things. I have two comments on that. The thing about blaming yourself, it kind of comes down to, let's say if you're a self-blamer and you have a husband that was right there with you the whole time and you asked that husband or you told him, like, you're to blame too, would you do that? Would you blame your husband? Oh, no, no, no. The person would say, no way. There's he did, he's, he's not to blame. But then you got to think about yourself. Are you to blame? I think that's an important thing for people to realize that you wouldn't blame anybody else that didn't have any involvement in it at all, but you would blame yourself. And the other thing would be that if Shannon could talk to her, what would Shannon say? Don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that. And the same with, you know, her dad and her sisters and her aunts and uncles. They answer what Shannon would want them to do with their lives. They answered it for us by explaining Mm -hmm. her to us. You know, she was a bright light. 
She brought light and happiness to every person that she touched. And that's why there are so many people that are willing to help me with this podcast. Because this little girl was special and had a heart for people. She wanted everybody to be happy. Some of them are not. And that breaks my heart because they find who this killer is. You still have to deal with it. Yeah. To deal with those woulda, coulda, shouldas. But I hope that they do hear Mm -hmm. it and take it into their heart remember what Shannon would have wanted. So also so important to realize that that justice can only go so far in this life. I think you were mentioning that before. Christians or religious people, what we can know is that God is the ultimate giver of justice for Shannon. People will get exactly what they deserve. They will. So her dad, Billy, it was really hard for him to talk about Shannon. You can just hear his pain. Yeah, it's times like that it makes people take stock of their lives start questioning wondering if it could have been different that type of thing but you know life just goes on the way it is he's been trying his best to help and answer questions and things like that and just obviously it seems to me that he's confronting the issue head on instead of burying it because that's what pain can do. Uh, emotional pain can cause you to just ignore it. I can't deal with it. But yet uh, he seems to have grown to where he's confronting it and willing to let it become forefront in his mind rather than driving it down. And that's good. That's positive. Yeah, I think he's only done one interview. I think this whole time, or at least in the last decade, he's only done one. And I know that It was really hard for him to talk to me. Like the rest of the family, it's been really hard for them as well. And yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a very good point. He's trying his best. And Shannon's friend said about her, she always tried her best. She tried her best. And that is like really stuck with me to make sure I try my best because I've never done this before. And for them to know that I am trying my best. And I think her family, they're trying their best too. And opening up those wounds, that's got to be so hard, especially after 19 years. But at the same time, it's been 19 years. It's time for resolution. A man like that, a father, it's inspiring, actually. A lot of us need to take stock in the fact that we have things that happen in our lives that take us down that ain't even close of what these people have had to deal with. Yeah. It should be an inspiration to all of it. There's a lot of stuff happens that's pretty small. Yeah. I thought the story that he told about the hunters, that was the first time I had heard that. Yeah. Wow. In one of the newspapers I had read about this case and when the hunters had been talking to the media... They told a little bit of that story, but not all of it. Marie was quoted in a newspaper article as saying how glad that they were to have found her because they were getting ready to plow that hunting preserve a few days or a week. I'll have to pull up the article, but yeah, like that divine intervention add that with the story of their truck not starting yeah one of those little miracles yeah if they hadn't have followed. If that hadn't have happened, Shannon probably would still be missing. Yeah. Man, that would be so hard to live with that unknown. Not only is it unresolved, but it's you don't know. You know, I think for both of her parents, that 
makes them, I don't know, it's so hard because you don't know, like, would you rather have that hope? There's a lot of missing cases and some, their child has been missing for 20 years. I guess neither one would be. There's a time factor with, with this, you know, it's like, I'm sure at the beginning, you know, of course, I've never experienced anything like this, but I can think that at the beginning, for sure, it's kind of like thinking that she could be alive by some miracle it helps keep you going gives you a positive feeling but then also that fades with time to where if you keep going for years and years and years and not realize that there's closure then you never get to a complete so catch 22 but there's something about closure when it comes to death yeah and you know and being able to have a place to go and visit her her grave and know where she is and that she's not hurting anymore and to to kind of know that I think that was what Marie was so grateful for is that she knows where her daughter is and you're right at first it would be that part yeah I can see that but after a year probably after six months pretty much know that your child is no longer on this earth so then you don't have you don't have her and know where she is and know that she's not being hurt anymore. And you still don't know who the killer is. So, man, very emotional. There's so many, there's a bunch of different possibilities. It's just trying to find a few that we can really concentrate on and pick apart with the help of her neighbors, friends, and family to see if we can come up with anything. But I think it sounds from all of the interviews we've heard It does sound like Shannon was a very friendly, very outgoing, never met a stranger, very trusting child. And she had been asking neighbors to take her to get candy. So maybe that was something that she still wanted to do. Maybe someone drove by and like, hey, what are you doing? And she asked them if they could take her. She knew them maybe by proxy. Maybe it was she knew their kids or she knew their wife or something like that. And she would probably, she's been explained by all of the family members that I have talked to so far, including her mother, that she probably would have gone with someone and that she probably had to have known at least a little bit she would have had to known her attacker, which is just heartbreaking. And it's probably one of the reasons why Candlestick is no longer what it used to be. I can't imagine still living there. Every man in there had to have been under scrutiny. Scrutiny, yeah. And just suspicious eyes. And there were a couple suspects that they did zero in on in the beginning and thereafter. And you know how investigations go. They always kind of, you know, when you have search warrants and things and you end up finding other cases. Other cases were made. Join me next time on Cold Truth to hear more. As myself, Shannon's family, friends, and neighbors discuss the unsolved murder of Shannon Nicole Polk. We will be taking a closer look at Candlestick Mobile Home Park, the timeline, and a couple suspects. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Cold Truth. Thank you to the Justice for Shannon Facebook group for all of your support and help. Thank you to the family and friends and neighbors of Shannon. This podcast would not be possible without you. 